Okay. There's so many of you this morning, I feel like it's going to take a bit to, uh, to get you all back to your seats. So if you've been around for a little bit, you know that we've been in a series for a while thinking about the really big questions of life and how the faith that we have in Jesus, that we find in Scripture, how it impacts into every different part of our human being story as being people on earth today, particularly people in L.A., um, and I don't know about you, but I, I think I'm ready for a, a dark room after some of the things that we have talked about. And, and even today, we're going to launch into the final kind of set of really complicated issues. But we're doing it, we're trying to do it very much from a place of humility, from a place of love, from a place of prayerfulness. We're trying to do it from a place of wanting to learn and hear the Holy Spirit. And of course, what we're really also trying to do is to root ourselves, to ground ourselves and be discipled by this thing, which is the foundation that we have for life, as opposed to the many other things that also want to f- disciple us in modern culture. Um, so today we're going to be in one of the Psalms. And uh, I don't know how many of you know much about the Psalms. If you were to open up your Bible, pretty much bang down the middle, you will get to the Psalms. Um, I love the Psalms. They are uh, a collection of readings which are really aimed to be like a prayer book, a prayer language for God's people. There are Psalms that are of lament and sadness. There are Psalms of celebration. There are Psalms that think about God's faithfulness and his goodness on earth today. But there are also Psalms that look forward to this kind of messianic hope to this time one day in the future when God will bring about a new reality um, of heaven and of earth. And so um, Sam is going to come and read for us Psalm 139. Um, And as she reads it, what I'd love you to do is I'd love you just to almost take a breath, to relax, because we really believe that this, this word of God is living to us as well, that it has meaning and speaks to our situations in our life. So even as she reads it, just ask the Holy Spirit, God, what's, what's a word? What's a phrase? What do you want to say to me this morning about what it means to be a human being? So if you've got your Bibles or on the screen, Psalm 139. Oh, you do need a microphone. We didn't quite think that through, did we? Here we go. You. Okay. Can you hear me? Okay. Um, Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a t- word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, If I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. It's such a beautiful passage of scripture, isn't it? It's one of the real mountain tops throughout the canon of scripture. And I love it. There's so much in it. There's so much meat. There's so much that we want to say about what it means to be a human being. But I think one of the things that makes the psalm so beautiful, and particularly this one, is that it's a psalm of David. And if you know anything about David, you know that he was a human being who knew the full expanse of the ups and downs of life. He started life as just this very obscure, unknown, quiet shepherd boy, had this meteoric, internet-like rise to fame when he managed to kill a massive great giant with a tiny little pebble, if you know that story. And then he went on to be a musician in the courts of the king. He became a friend to the king's son, became a military leader, but then was on the run. His life was in danger. He was hunted down like an animal. Eventually, he did become the anointed king of Israel, maybe the most famous king that Israel's ever had. But even after that, he experienced adultery. He went through losing a son. He went through absolutely everything that life has. And then right in the middle of it, he, he reflects on God's reality in his life. And he starts in verse one with this. He says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Now, that word that is used in the Psalms for know is not the kind of way that we use the word know for I know about sport or I know about football, like my head knows about this. The word in the Hebrew is actually this amazing emotional sense of connection, this sense of being really a known person and like really joined together. You know, you never see um, like a married couple who've been married a really long time, like even longer than Greg and Irene, like, you know, like decades and decades. And assuming that they are still talking to one another, which is not always the case, but assuming that they're still talking to one another, you can almost sense, can't you, that slightly telepathic way of understanding the other person. You see it in twins as well, that you can read the other person without even words having to be spoken of. Uh, Laura and I have been married uh, for just coming up to 14 years, and I have no idea where that went. Uh, but this week is Laura's 40th birthday. You know, you would not believe it. She might be able to hear from over there. And so over the weekend, I took her away for a night, the first night that we've ever had away from our kids in LA, in California. And uh, so I planned this surprise set of events, and the kids stayed with Matt and Lindy. Thank you, Matt and Lindy, again, publicly, for having our kids, lifesaver. Um, and so we went away, but I didn't tell Laura what any of the things were that we were going to do. In fact, I just, we went to places, and then when we got there, I told her what we were going to do. And it was fascinating after 14 years of marriage, because you realize that when you get there, you start to know what the other person's going to think before they even say anything, right? So when we went whale watching yesterday, morning, we arrived at this, this pier, and I knew straight away, as soon as I said we're going well watching, Laura would go, we're not going, we're going home. Because it's like boat, rough sea, you know, like all that kind of stuff, cold, not fun. I knew she'd say that, and then I knew that if I was really patient with her, we'd go on the boat, and then I knew that she'd have a really good time. And she had a really good time, right? And we saw a whale and baby and all that kind of stuff. It was amazing. But when you've been together with somebody for that amount of time, you get to really know them. But what David wants to say in the psalm here is that God knows you way more than that. 
God knows everything about you. God knows all the things that you have ever said to another person. He knows the things that you've never said to another person. He knows all the things that are in your head. He knows even the things that you don't even really know about yourself yet. God knows you. Now, that might feel really scary when you think about God knowing your secrets, about God knowing all those things that you try and hide from other people. But what the psalmist wants to say is that God knows you, and amazingly, astonishingly, God loves you. He is familiar with your ways, and yet he chooses to love you deeply and intimately. But David, when he speaks about this, he almost speaks of it with a bit of a hint of claustrophobia. He says, God, you hem me in. You're before me. You're behind me. It's almost a bit like, you know, I don't know how many people have been living with someone this last year, and you've been at home a lot with one particular person or a group of people this last year. Okay, yeah. If, particularly if you've got kids, you know what this is like. If you found yourself locked in a bathroom at any point in the last year, just trying to be on your own for five minutes, you know, that's what it's like. And David sort of hints that there's almost something about God's presence that is so close that he thinks, could I get away from it? And so what he does is he goes through a thought experiment. He says, right, is there anywhere I could go in creation to get away from God's presence in my life? And so he says in verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And he goes, okay, right, well, if I go up to the mountains, no, that doesn't work because you're there. If I go to the depths of the ocean, no, that doesn't work because you're there. If I go to the dawn, the beginning of the day, you know, that doesn't work, you're there. If I go across the seas, the farthest ocean, you're there. Even darkness, David said, that does not hide your presence in my life. You are omnipresent. You are everywhere, all at once. That's who God is. There is nowhere where you can go to flee from God's presence in your life. You know, you ever played that like hide and seek with a small child, a really small child? And you know the thing where you go, right, okay, I'm going to count, and then you go and hide, and you count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever, and you look up, and the child is literally standing still in front of you, but with their hands over their eyes, right? Because their brain tells them that if they can't see you, no, hold on, if you, yeah, if they can't see you, you can't see them, right? That's what their brain tells them. When in fact you're looking right at them, you're like, I think you're literally there. Um, Although you, don't, you make a big deal and you pretend that you can't see them, right? I think the same is true of God. We often think, gosh, I'm going to go far from God. I don't want God to be involved in my life. I'm going to run away. I don't want God to be involved in this part of my life or this part of my story. I want to be away from God. And yet, actually, I think it's just like that for God. God looks at us and says, like, you're still right there. You're still right there. And guess what? I love you. I know you. I care for you. It's beautiful and it's amazing. But then, then so David goes, well, I can't go anywhere in creation to get away from your presence. Can I go back in time? Is there any point in my history where you were not alongside me, just as we sang a few minutes ago? But yet then he's, he has to concede, no, in verse 15. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's wombs. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, before I even had form, before I even had being, before I even could consciously think about anything, before anybody could even see me, you knew me and you loved me and you cared for me. And then David's res response to that is like, just praise. He says, it's amazing, I praise you. I praise you because you called me into being. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. This morning, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Whether you feel like that or you don't feel like that, that is God's promise to you, that you were made with purpose, that you were made with intent. And so what I'd like to do for a few minutes is I'd like to think about how does this play out in the real world. Now, I'll say straight up that this might play to some slightly more uncomfortable places that we don't even really ever want to talk about. 
But I want to do it not to bring judgment or condemnation or say, you know, this, you know, this person's not welcome or this person's not welcome. But what I want us to do is actually get to a place of healing. I want to get to a place of wholeness. I want to get to a place where if, if some of these things have sort of touched a nerve in your life, we're able to say, hey, well, God loves you and God can bring healing and restoration and wholeness to your life. And so uh, we're going to do it like just trusting that God wants to bring his healing and his kingdom to bear on our lives on the lives of those around us and, of course, in his, in his world. So where does this sense of personhood really find its home? Well, the first place I think it does, and this is maybe the uncomfortable one we want to talk about, is about that life of the unborn, about the life of those who haven't even found their physical place on the planet yet. You know, science often tells us, doesn't it, that creation is very random, that the Big Bang was this cosmic set of astonishing impossibilities that came together to create something. And then, you know, it just so happened that we had an earth and that the earth was just perfect for what we needed it to be. And then out of that, even that the babies are born by, you know, one of these tiny millions of sperm that just happens to meet an egg at the right moment, you know, that way we get a person. And a, per and a cell mechanically becomes a one and a two and a four and an eight and a 16 and a 32. And if you test me, I might see if I can go further than that. But, you know, and that's how we get a life. Now, of course, scientifically, that isn't necessarily, that's not a problem in terms of the how it happens, but it doesn't really tell us why it happens, when in fact what the psalmist tells us, what the Bible tells us, is that you are not some random collection of chance. In fact, God called you into being. God saw you before you ever even existed outside of the womb, and he personally called you by name. You know, the activity of creation is the activity of speaking a life into being. When God made the world, he spoke life into being. When God, you know, when you were conceived, you were spoken and called into creation. But it's also personal because not only did God do that, but because he's outside of time, he saw your whole story. He saw your whole life. He saw your beginning, David says, and he saw your end, and he says, I love you. It's not that he's pulling your strings and the whole of your life is totally without your free will. It's just that God can see the whole thing, and he says, I love you, that you have this wonderful sense of purpose and being. And therefore, that really matters when we think about you know, the tiny and the vulnerable. Um, and so I just want to think with you for a few minutes about, about creation, which we've just spoken about, but also covenant, so covenant is this language of promise, right? When God covenants to his people, what he effectively says is, I will be faithful to you. Even when you are not faithful to me, I will be faithful to you. And Psalm 139 is the language of covenant. It is God saying, I love you. I will always love you. I will always be with you. And it's not like David going, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I will do that if you do that. No, it's not that at all. David is just responding to the fact that God loves us so incredibly much. Um, that means that, you know, David's response is one of worship, that God is committed to us when we are tiny and embryonic, just as much as he is committed to us when we are old and frail at the end of our human lives. But then the third thing is that also there is this real sense of continuity. There's creation, there's covenant, but there's also continuity in uh, the story of how David speaks about what it means to be a human being. He doesn't say, like, once upon a time, I was just a collection of cells, or I was just a moment, and later on, I became a human being who you then chose to love. Um, he actually says, you knew me the whole way through the story. Um, I've stolen some material this morning. 
um, from Professor John Wyatt. Um, he just happens to be an uncle, which is why I can steal his material without asking. Um, but he is also um, Professor of Neonatology at University College London. He's probably the, the UK's leading voice in Christian medical ethics. And he says that so often people say to him, like, in that whole big medical discussion about birth and all those things like, when does human life begin? When is a human life created? And he says, well, actually, maybe that doesn't feel like the right question. It doesn't feel like the right question because if you're asking the question of a tiny little embryo, is it human? The answer is, of course, yes. Is it living? The answer is, of course, yes. So John White says, well, a much better question is, when is there a person to whom God loves and to whom we have a duty of protection? And what he says is that when you think in those terms, you can't actually look at it through a, a, um, through a microscope and say, there is a human there. You actually find a person by reaching out with love and care to someone. And when you do that, you recognize that however far you go back, just exactly the same as the psalmist says, wherever you go to in history, you can never say that there was not a human life, that God was speaking life into being, that God saw you when you were just this tiny cell embryo, and he loved you, and he saw you, and he knew you. And that's why uh, he says, David, I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. So and if just for a moment, you might want to turn to the person next to you and just say, you are wonderful. You are wonderful. You may not believe that, but you are wonderful, right? And you're wonderful not because you're beautiful, although I'm sure you are. You're wonderful not because you're clever, although I'm sure you are. You're wonderful not because you're wealthy or you've contributed a lot. You're wonderful. Why? Because you are intricately, beautifully, and uniquely designed by a creator who spoke your life into being, called you into existence. Now, that, that sense, though, of, of the wonderfulness of these tiny cells joining together to become a human being is made even more wonderful when you think about the New Testament. You see, it's not just that actually God looked at the womb and said, wow, you know, that's an amazing thing, or it's God even just that he puts things into a womb, but it's actually that he inhabited a womb himself. If you go to Luke chapter 1 in your Bible, uh, you will uh, see this amazing story of a doctor who was Luke speaking about what it means to, to, to have life. And amazingly, in Luke chapter 1, right in the middle of Luke chapter 1, he speaks about this really interesting conversation between two pregnant women. And you might go, like, why on earth is like this Dr. Luke at the beginning of his gospel, right when readers are most excited, he speaks about this conversation about two pregnant women having a chat? But actually, you realize it's deeply significant. It's deeply important. When Mary, this young girl, finds out she's pregnant, she goes to see uh, uh, the older aunt, Elizabeth, who is also pregnant. And if you read it in Luke chapter 1, 41 to 44, it'll come up on the screens. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you'll bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now, when we look at this story, immediately it seems like, oh, that's just two people having a conversation. But what Luke is telling us is, no, that's not a conversation between two people. There are actually four people in this conversation. That when Mary is full of the Holy Spirit, she is, uh, when, sorry, when Elizabeth is full of the Holy Spirit, she's able to blurt out, wow, you are the mother and you are the Messiah. And then actually, even John the Baptist, who you know, we, we know at this point is probably about seven months gestation, so he's quite a big bump at this point. He, uh, when he recognizes this tiny speck, we think Jesus might be as little as like three weeks 
gestation at this point. Mary's just found out she's pregnant. This baby, John, can recognize spiritually, no, that is the Messiah, and leaps for joy. This is not a conversation between two people. It's actually a conversation between four people, that life at every one of these stages is hugely important, is hugely significant, is hugely part of God's redemptive plan for the whole of the created story. Now, obviously, right, that has application for us. We live uh, in, in a society where increasingly, you know, that, that horrible word that we never even want to really talk about, that word abortion, is so often, you know, at the center of, of the news. It's at the center of a controversy. You know, here in the United States, you know, somewhere between one in three and one in four women will have an abortion now in the U.S. at some point in their life. Now, I don't say that. I'm not saying there's nothing about what I want to say this morning that is of judgment, is of condemnation, at all, not, none of those things at all. But it is to say that, that these things deeply affect us. You know, often I think in, in modern science, we're told, you know, that, that abortion is, is just a medical procedure. But if you've ever been in pastoral care, if you've ever been in counseling, if you've ever been in anything like that, you will know that so often that these events are actually so deeply impactful to a human being. And not actually even just to, to a woman, but actually they can be deeply impactful to a man as well because they are part of that story. And the reason they're so impactful is because they are about life. They are not just a moment. They are actually about the whole creation story. And I don't want to say any more this morning than just really these two things. One is that if this has touched your life in the past, then, then I want to tell you that God loves you, that God cares for you, that God is with you, that God is all about healing and restoration and second chances, and we love you, and we want to be in relationship with you, and we want to seek out God's blessing and his healing over your life. If you are living in that place of guilt or shame or pain, then we want to be in the story. And if you, if you would be brave enough to even just drop me an email or Laura an email, we would just be just love to gather together and just pray for God's healing if that's been part of your story, whether you're a man or a woman if you've been impacted in that way. But we also want to say that if this is a story that you, and we pray this will never happen, is part of your future, that you have to come across this horrendous decision. And, you know, abortions come so often, these horrendous moments that you would allow us to be your family. You know, when I said at the beginning that we want to be family together, that you would allow us to be part of that story. We're, we're um, building a really beautiful relationship with an amazing local organization here in LA that partner with women through the whole story of going through this kind of choice and decision-making and even long after the choice. And they partner and they love and they pray and they care. And we, we would just love to be in that. Please, if you are ever faced with that scenario, please, please um, be family with us and allow us to speak speak life to you in those places. Now, before we get caught up on just this one really difficult topic, I also want to recognize that this idea of personhood, it goes so much further. It goes so much further than just to like babies in the womb. Because if you think about Psalm 139, you might say that there's this summary of it, which is of love, where it basically says love is that it's good that you are in the world. It's good that you are equal to me. It's good that you are fearfully, wonderfully made as I am fearfully, wonderfully made. If you think about the greatest commandments, one day someone says to Jesus, hey, what is the greatest commandment? And God says, love God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the summary of the law. That's the summary of the good news of Jesus that we proclaim, which means that in human terms, when we think about each other, we have to say we love God, we love ourselves, and we love our neighbor. 
Now, you cannot say, I love God and I love myself, but I hate everybody else on the planet. Right? That is not a gospel approach, right? You also can't say, well, I love myself and I love everybody else, but I'm not, I don't like God. That's not the gospel. And equally, if I get this the right order, you can't say, I love God and I love everybody else, but I hate myself. You can't say those things. You actually have to join all three of those together. Why? Because our value your value, my value, your wonderfulness, my wonderfulness, actually comes out of that sense of who God created us to be, not about what we contribute. I think so often in society, right, we think about people by what they contribute. You know, you are successful, you are beautiful, you are famous, therefore you are better, you are worse, you contribute something to society, you don't contribute to something to society. But when we get to this place, as David does, where he recognizes that we are all wonderfully made just by the basis of who we were designed to be, it actually puts this hugely beautiful leveler on the whole of the creation story. When we think about groups in society like the disabled, like the elderly, like the poor, like the refugee, like the orphan, like so often the people who get less care, who are treated less well because they can contribute less. Actually, as Christians, what we have to say is, no, you are equal value to me, which means you, are of, you should receive of equal care even than I receive. There should be this wonderful sense of equality to it. I think you know, one of the sad things we've seen over the last year has been this increasing sense of, of feeling like a burden. You know, like the studies are showing increasingly that the, the biggest fear that faces old people today, and when I mean old, I mean like, I'm going to pick on Greg all day, right? Older than Greg, right? The, you know, is actually that they don't want to be a burden. The worst thing that you can be is a burden to someone else in society. When in fact, when you get this idea of personhood right, you realize that actually when God made us, he actually made us to be burdens to one another. That's who he made us. You know, when God made you and he made me, he didn't go, okay, well, I'm gonna make something really strong, really independent, that's really tough, like some massive, great, I don't know, dinosaur that you know, can withstand nuclear warfare. He didn't, he made us these tiny little, slightly pathetic, like blobby <laughs> pink things or whatever things. You know, that's who he made us to be. And there's this wonderful sense that we are a burden to one another and we should be a burden to one another because that is how God designed us. That's why we are family together because we are to care for one another. And that's why, you know, we talked these last few weeks about these marks of mission. You know, as a church, we want to say that it is our, we want to respond to human need by loving service. Why? Because we are called to love others as we love ourselves. We are called to transform unjust structures of society, to challenge violence of every kind, to pursue peace and reconciliation. Why? Because we are called to love others as we love ourselves. And as we talked about um, a couple of weeks back, to strive to safeguard the integrity of creation, to sustain and renew the life of the earth. Why? Because that's one of the ways that we love others as we love ourselves. We are to call to see everybody with this wonderful sense of equality because we are all made equal. But it's not even just that we see other people as equal, but also we realize that we can receive from other people equally. You know, I think, um, you know, it's easy, isn't it, in society to look at others and go, you're a bit scary. You've got the wrong accent. You sound like you're British, so I will withdraw from you. You know, or, you know, you, you don't look like me, or you don't sound like me, or you're from a different place to me, or, you know, whatever it might be, we withdraw and we get a bit scared about each other when actually the quality of God says that we are always called toward one another and not away from one another. And when we are called toward one another, actually what we find is that we can learn a lot from each other. We can learn a lot. Um, Ali and myself and Laura 
have been running Alpha in the park this last uh, six, eight weeks. We've been doing Alpha with a homeless community who just happened to live under a bridge near where Laura and I live. And uh, every, every uh, Wednesday afternoon, we've gone down, and thank you if you've been part of bring, providing meals and things for that. And we've fed this lovely little community of people, and it's been messy, and it's been complicated, but it's been one of the most rewarding things I have done for a very long time. Why? Because as I go, well, Jesus loves you, so often they go, oh, we know that Jesus loves, you, loves us, and this is our experience of Jesus. And this is where we've seen Jesus turn up in our lives under the bridge this week, and we've seen answers to prayers, and we've seen healings, and we've seen miraculous things happen as we've done Alpha in this park. I've received so much as I have put myself into the place of somebody who I really would not normally go and hang out with. You know, um, on my way to work, I, um, I drive up Foothill, if you live around here, you know where that is, and then I turn left and go down Rosemead. And uh, every morning this week, there has been a lady there right in the central reservation, um, a very elderly lady, it would be fair to say. And I'll be very honest, the first time I saw her, my immediate reaction was, this lady looks like she's out of a Disney cartoon. You know, like she was of at least 150 years old, it, it seemed like. You know, she was a very, very, very elderly and very bent over lady. And the first time I drove past her, I thought, okay, I'm just going to get to work because I'm in a hurry. The second time I drove past her, you know, traffic light went red. I thought, this is silly, Ben. You're called to love other people. And so I stopped and I gave her some fruit. The third day, the traffic light went red just literally as I stopped at that junction. And I thought, well, I'm going to be here for like two to three minutes now. So I, I thought, well, you know, come on, Ben. Just roll down your window and have a chat. So I, I rolled down my window, you know, sort of not knowing what, I, what response I would get from, from this old lady. She turned around to me, put the biggest smile on her face and went, good morning, son. Would you be filled with the Holy Spirit today? So I, oh, man. <laughs> it's like... Here was I going like, oh, we shouldn't talk to, you know, I don't know what I'm going to respond to. Get. Here was this lady who was just waiting to pray for me as I, the pastor, was going to church. And we had a little talk about church and being, you know, a Christian and all those things as we waited at the traffic light. You know, it's so easy, isn't it? To look at other people and go, you are different, so therefore I am withdrawing from you. When actually as Christians, we are called to be the very people who go to the other always going to those who are different. It's the reason, if you look at Jesus, who did Jesus hang out with? Did Jesus go and hang out in palaces? Did Jesus go and hang out with the rich and the mighty and the powerful? Actually, mostly not. Jesus went to hang out with the tax collector, the unclean, the lepers, the prostitutes, the adulterer. That's where Jesus went to hang out with, and that's where we're called to hang out with. We're supposed to go into these places. That's why at Vintage we go like, things like racism are just absolutely abhorrent to us because they say that one person is less than another. You know, when I lived in South Africa, just after the apartheid finished, uh, I was part of running a Christian campsite, and we used to have all these different tribes of people who lived around the area of different, different ethnicities. And uh, one uh, group of people, particularly the Tswana who lived in that area, they'd been particularly like, badly you know, beaten, abused, and you know, downtrodden through years and years of apartheid in that country. So much so that, that when kids were born into that culture, they were often given names which were an adjective. Is an adjective a describing word? I always get that wrong. Yeah, so they were given names which were adjectives. So some of them had beautiful names like blessing and promise, but a bunch of them actually had names like rubbish. There was a kid on our campsite whose name was rubbish, trash. There was another kid whose name was enough. And, and what you found is when you got into stories, you realized that these groups of people were just so beaten, they were so downtrodden, they were so low in their, you know, in, in their emotional well-being that that's how it played out in the close of their kids. You know, in, in, in here at Vintage, we want to say, no, like, racism cannot happen. That's why we want to say any form of violence cannot happen. You know, here in the U.S., we have four to five times higher gun-related deaths than any other na wealthy nation on Earth. You know, here in Pasadena, we have homelessness absolutely everywhere around us. There's so many different places where this goes to. 
But let me just finish by saying this. It's not my, the point of this morning is to not make you feel terrible. It's not to make you feel guilty. But when David reflects on the beauty of God, when David reflects on the enormity of God's creation, when David reflects on the value of God's giving life to him, life in the womb, life to every single human being on earth, even when David reflects in the last few verses, which we didn't even read, about his enemies and the people who hate him and the people who hate God, this is what he finishes with. And this is what I want us to finish with this morning. He says this, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let me just say that again and then we're going to pray because this is not my condemnation to you this morning. It's my invitation into the kingdom. As we pray, just hear these words And if you want to pray these words, you're very welcome to do that. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting.